This is a WKYT podcast. Good morning from WKYT News and welcome to Kentucky Newsmakers. I'm Bill Bryant. Today, a conversation with 6th District Congressman Andy Barr just before he returns to Washington where tough issues are swirling. Obviously, the military action in the Middle East has grabbed our attention this weekend and we'll discuss that. The Democratic-led House has voted to impeach President Trump but has not sent the articles to the Senate yet for a trial. Barr, who is a Republican from Lexington, strongly spoke out against and voted against impeachment. Hotspots have flared up around the world. Again, the threats in North Korea and the demonstrations at that embassy in the Middle East and the other actions of this week. Here at home, the new spending bill signed by the president included raising the age to buy tobacco products or e-cigarettes from 18 to 21. The FDA is taking some other steps in that regard as well. The congressman is also working on horse racing legislation and an effort to help veterans cope after their service to the country. With all that, uh, we're set for an interesting year ahead, an election year uh, on top of that. And Congressman, welcome. We appreciate it Good very morning, much. Bill. As we're taping this, uh, you have received a briefing about uh, what uh, has happened in the Middle East uh, with the uh, U.S. military action there. Uh, what can you tell us? Well, we know uh, that uh, U.S. forces uh, did successfully strike Qasem Soleimani uh, in a convoy at the Baghdad International Airport. I've actually been there and been to the U.S. Embassy, which is quite a fortress there in Baghdad uh, post-war uh, there. Uh, and uh, Soleimani, it's important to understand who this person is. Qasem Soleimani was the commander of the Quds Force, or the extraterritorial arm of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, uh, part of Iran's senior leadership there. He was a terrorist. The Quds Force and the IRGC was designated a terrorist organization. Uh, he was responsible for killing over 600 American service members in Iraq. He was responsible for uh, fomenting and supporting uh, the Shiite insurgency in Iraq. And he's also in charge of the Iranian proxies. So he supplies all of the material, the weapons, the training, and the, the, the um, additional uh, 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 fighters for Hezbollah, uh, the Houthis in Yemen, and again, the Shiite militia in, in, uh, uh, in Iraq. So this was a, a decisive action taken by the president. And it was a very, very important, significant victory, a massive victory for the United States uh, to deter future attacks against our embassy. This was directly in response, of course, to the attack recently against our embassy that Soleimani orchestrated. But it was also a defensive move because what, our, uh, what we're being told overnight is that there was actionable intelligence that Soleimani was there on the ground in Baghdad for a reason, and that was to carry out additional attacks against U.S. service members and diplomatic personnel. As a member of Congress, what questions and concerns do you have at this moment? Well, one of the concerns I have is the fact that we don't have bipartisan support for this president. I mean, we're hearing from our colleagues on the other side of the aisle uh, them using language like assassination. That's the language of Tehran. Uh, this was not an assassination. This was a terrorist designated by the government of the United States. 
uh, this was a terrorist who killed Americans and was responsible for providing the IEDs uh, uh, for the uh, Shiite militia in Iraq. So what I, what I would first call for is a little bit of unity. Uh, in the midst of this impeachment, we need unity. The country, uh, our national security is at stake. American personnel. Uh, that are forward deployed are in harm's way right now. We need to come together as a country and support our commander-in-chief and support uh, defending American interests abroad. And we'll see where this all goes. And uh, as you head back to Washington uh, this coming week uh, for action on Monday, actually, uh, the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, will have the gavel and uh, will be uh, 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 gaveling in that session of Congress. Uh, how does this impeachment situation hang over everything else and every other discussion that's held in America right now? Well, regrettably, it's a huge distraction, obviously, for the country, and we need to do the work of the American people. Most of my constituents that I talk to, of course, there's partisans who have their strong feelings about impeachment one way or the other, but there's a lot of Americans and a lot of Kentuckians that I talk to who really want the Congress to focus on getting the work of the American people done. Now, fortunately, I think in part because of impeachment, uh, Speaker Pelosi did push some uh, non-impeachment related legislation uh, to a vote. So we were able to finally, after a year, uh, get the USMCA passed. That's great for our economy. Uh, we were able to pass a year in spending bill, importantly to provide that additional funding for our military, which now that, uh, that funding seems to be all the more important at this time. We passed a National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, two pieces of legislation that I authored were in there, including North Korea sanctions and sanctions against Russia for the Nord Stream 2 uh, natural gas pipeline project. So there was important policy that was passed, some tax extenders. Uh, we, we got a, a couple of bills passed for Kentucky uh, that, that I had authored the, the bill to provide uh, uh, racehorses, um, uh, investors in racehorses uh, uh, deduction, uh, accelerated depreciation, and also uh, for the bourbon industry, a tax cut for them. So that was important, but the truth is, as this impeachment goes forward and as we have these national security threats facing us, we need to move on and get back to the business of the American people. Being in the minority, uh, do the Republicans uh, have any maneuvers that, uh, that you can try or do to uh, either get the articles of impeachment moved on to the Senate or uh, to, uh, to have some, uh, as apparently you would have it, some reconsideration of uh, where things are? Well, uh, the, the action in the House is completed from the standpoint of a vote. Of course, I voted against both articles of impeachment uh, for, for a variety of reasons. Um, but now uh, the Speaker apparently is getting cold feet and she has not delivered the articles to the Senate. Uh, there was all this urgency. Uh, there was a statement that we needed to get this done. It was very urgent. We, we couldn't wait for litigation over the executive privilege issue and the obstruction of Congress issue. We had to get it done. We had to rush it through the Congress. And now uh, that it was a hyper-partisan vote with, with, with uh, no evidence of a, of a high crime or misdemeanor, she doesn't want to deliver it to the Senate. And so it just goes to show how unserious this whole and how political this whole thing was. And it just also goes to show why what you know, the Senate is about ready to do uh, potentially is just to dis dismiss for failure to prosecute. And so the, the House vote, as you say, was hyperpartisan. The Senate vote will be hyperpartisan in all likelihood. Uh, is this where we are as a country? Well, I hope not. And I, wanted, I do want to talk about some... some uh, I am optimistic that we can continue to get some things done despite all of this, but I think it's important just to address the impeachment issue for a minute because 
uh, the American people have been told that the president did something wrong. And the fact of the matter is, back in March, uh, Speaker Pelosi resisted impeachment from the, the ascendant voices of the extreme left in her, her caucus. And she did so for a good reason. She said that impeachment is so divisive to the country, it should not be pursued unless the evidence is overwhelming, compelling, and bipartisan. And you do not believe that evidence exists? Certainly not compelling, certainly not uh, overwhelming. And the reason is this, because the Democrats in Congress are impeaching this president for following a law that they themselves voted for no less than five times in the last six years. Congress, on a big bipartisan basis, voted to require, to mandate the president to seek and obtain assurances from the government of Ukraine that it was countering corruption within its, con its country. Because, for good reason, uh, Ernst & Young says that uh, Ukraine is the third most corrupt nation on the earth, uh, on planet earth. So, it's very important, it's in the national interest, not in the president's personal political interest, it's in the national interest that the president seek those assurances, as he did, to temporarily pause that aid. Not only did the president have the authority to temporarily pause that aid, he had the legal duty to do so. And Adam Schiff, the man who brought these impeachment charges, he voted for those laws. And so you do, do not buy that the, the pause, as you say, was for any uh, political purpose uh, on behalf of the president? Well, look at the result. The result of the temporary delay in aid was that we strengthened the Ukraine as a more reliable ally in countering Russian aggression. As a result of the temporary pause in aid, the Ukraine took historic anti-corruption reforms. Zelensky and the new parliament, the new Rada, his, his new political party, a new and untested government, made historic anti-corruption reforms. Now why is that important? That's important because it just shows that it's very, very important and in our national interest that when you have a brand new government, hundreds of millions of dollars of U.S. security assistance at stake, that it's altogether appropriate for a president to make sure that that ally, that new ally, is a reliable ally. Congressman, there were witnesses brought into the House uh, hearings before the vote. Do you uh, support or believe that there will be uh, there will be witnesses for the, the trial in the Senate? You know, I don't know. I think that's totally up, up to the Senate. Uh, what's interesting is that uh, because this was such a rushed process through the House, they didn't allow the president to have counsel present. They didn't follow the precedent of the Clinton or the um, or the Nixon uh, uh, impeachment proceedings. Uh, they initially conducted all of this behind closed doors without any due process to the president. So the process was bad. Um, the president wants a full trial to bring witnesses. Uh, but the question is whether or not the senators who conduct it make that decision. And ultimately, that's going to be a negotiation between Senator McConnell, his members, and Senator Schumer. Congressman Andy Barr, Republican of Kentucky, the 6th District, with us here on Kentucky Newsmakers. A lot more questions coming up as we head into a very interesting year of 2020. We're coming right back on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers on WKYT. We are visiting with Congressman Andy Barr, who represents the 6th District in Washington. Uh, he will be going back, actually, as this program is airing uh, tomorrow on Monday, uh, where things uh, will get rolling. Uh, what do you anticipate on that first day of Congress? People, members will be coming back. The impeachment situation is swirling. There's been this military action. 
I mean, there's a lot of drama there. There's a lot of drama. I think the first and most important thing that will happen is we will be getting some briefings, some classified briefings uh, related to uh, the military strike uh, in the Middle East in Baghdad. And um, uh, that's top of minds of uh, all of us. But I think we have to realize, and I hope we can come together as a country and as a Congress, that this was a defensive action. This was not this was not something that was um, not thought out. This was, this was a president who was looking at what happened with Benghazi and saying, this is not going to happen on our watch. Um, our embassy in Baghdad was attacked by Shiite militia directed by General Soleimani. Um, the United States, under this president, is sending a message and a signal to tyrants all over the world, whether it's the mullahs or the ayatollah in Tehran, or whether it's Kim Jong-un, that if you, if you kill Americans, there will be consequences and America will defend herself. Let's talk a little bit about North Korea as we do these international topics, then we'll talk about some things internally. But uh, once again, uh, more talk of uh, more potential development of, uh, of weapons uh, by uh, North Korea. Uh, at this point, I mean, there is another hot spot in the world. It is, and you hear the bellicose and more belligerent rhetoric coming from Pyongyang from a leader Kim and what we were able to accomplish at the end of the year is not insignificant. We were able to pass legislation that I've been working on for four years, uh, formerly as the chairman of the subcommittee with oversight over Treasury's sanctions, the toughest economic sanctions ever directed at North Korea, the Otto Warmbier North Korea Nuclear Sanctions and Enforcement Act. This legislation will target foreign banks, Chinese, Russian banks, Malaysian banks, banks around the world that are facilitating illicit finance. And I, I think you're seeing a response from the North uh, Koreans right now because this is going to crack down on a lot of the ways in which they've circumvented international sanctions. Uh, and it's very, very important because, uh, of course, Kim is threatening a new weapon. He's threatening uh, more missile tests. But this legislation will give our negotiators uh, at the United Nations, uh, our Secretary of State, more leverage in obtaining the, the diplomatic solution that we want, a peaceful, verifiable, irreversible denuclearization of the peninsula. Is the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade deal good for Kentucky? It's great for Kentucky. That's why the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce supported it. Toyota, the Kentucky Distillers, and the Kentucky Farm Bureau, all of those groups support it because uh, this is going to be 176,000 new jobs in America uh, in the next five years. It's $68 billion in additional economic output for our country. It's rocket fuel for our uh, economy. And on top of tax cuts and deregulation and the other reforms that we enacted in the last Congress, this provides the business sector more confidence. And that's why you're going to see business optimism join consumer confidence moving upwards and I think it's one of the reasons why you continue to see uh, positive moves in the stock market as well. The addiction crisis has uh, hit Kentucky horribly hard and you're well aware and of course here in the 6th district uh, we have these uh, continuing uh, overdose deaths and, and, and lives and families torn apart yeah. by it and communities. Uh, you have pushed for and supported a bill designed to uh, help those who are addicted get off drugs and try to get jobs and that that is often the missing piece. It's like the people, maybe even if they get sober, they can't take the next step. Right. Uh, does this, will this address this? Will it trickle down to uh, here at home? 
Yes, it will. Um, Kentucky was designated as uh, one of the top recipients of the funding for the Career Act, which was a bill that Senator McConnell and I supported and included in a, a big package of uh, 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 bills to combat the opioid epidemic. We're making modest progress, but we're also doing other things in addition to that transitional housing for addiction recovery piece, and we're, we're going to be uh, monitoring the grants as they come to Kentucky over the next year. But we also uh, are very pleased with the fact that we were able to help secure an $87 million grant, uh, the healing grant for the University of Kentucky. And the goal of this grant is to reduce opioid overdose deaths by 40% over the next three years. Uh, that is an ambitious goal, uh, but uh, Dr. Walsh and uh, all of her team over at the University of Kentucky are well equipped. They're excellent researchers, and they're going to do a great job with this federal, uh, uh, federal grant. And we're going to continue to work with our recovery working group in the 6th District. All of these wonderful organizations, not-for-profits, faith-based, some public agencies, to, tr to continue to try to get them federal resources so that they can help folks through recovery. It should be pointed out that in some of that money will go to areas who already were trying things locally. They were trying to get things. I mean, that, they get the priority. So the local uh, areas are encouraged to, to try to do more. That's right. And we're encouraging all of the organizations organizations within our 6th uh, district to, to contact us uh, so that we can help them either with if they're in that, that area, the UK grant, or there's other grants, the Kentucky Opioid Response Effort, that's federal money that comes to the state. And we're already seeing the results, Bill, in, in Powell County's the SPARC organization, we have seen a decline of 50% in individuals uh, who are uh, who are struggling with addiction as a result of that. So we're making a difference. Many who have served our country and in, in the military uh, end up in despair. And, uh, and we have a, a horrible problem with uh, even veteran suicide issues in this country. Uh, you have told us that you uh, want to attempt to address that in some way in the new year. Absolutely. On the heels of the VA Mission Act, which was this historic transformational reform of the VA health uh, care system in the last Congress, now we've got to urgently tackle this crisis in our country of 20 veterans committing suicide every single day because of post-traumatic stress, military sexual trauma, traumatic brain injury, other invisible wounds of war. And what we've discovered on the VA committee is that 14 out of those 20 veterans have no interaction with the VA system over the last two years. And so what we want to do with the IMPROVE Act, a bill that I've co-sponsored, is to provide grants to veteran service organizations, uh, outside organizations, outside of the VA that can intervene and help these veterans who are struggling. And one of the amendments that I've passed to increase funding at the VA and then also grants to non-VA organizations is equine assisted therapy. It's a great way for us in Kentucky to marry our love of horses uh, with our uh, appreciation and respect for our veterans. This is evidence-based. It works uh, putting uh, troubled veterans in contact with retired racehorses and seeing the therapeutic benefits of that for both is, is a wonderful thing to see. We want more grant money for that. As we transition uh, into uh, the horse racing uh, industry is uh, uh, another uh, topic I wanted to touch on right now. We've had uh, two more deaths at Santa Anita heading into uh, this racing season uh, and not 
nine horse deaths at Keeneland last year. It's a real concern for the industry. Uh, you have attempted to get some federal standards, and yet uh, you know the localities want to do this state by state, right? Is that the, I, I think is that the standoff? Well, it's really not a standoff. I, I encourage and I welcome some of the reform efforts at the state level, and Kentucky's taken some new bold uh, uh, reforms, and I applaud. Uh, them for doing so, the Kentucky Racing Commission, and you've seen these multi-state partnerships develop to try to uh, uh, phase out race day medication, but we still need federal legislation because we need a national uniform standard uh, that will ensure the safety and the integrity of this sport going forward. Over-medication of horses is a problem. Uh, there may be track surface issues as well that may be causing some of these catastrophic breakdowns, but the bottom line for the future prosperity of this sport, which is a beautiful part of our culture, it's a huge job creator for uh, people in central Kentucky, we have to make sure that the next generation of fans uh, have confidence in the safety of the sport and the integrity of the sport. And frankly, our international competitive, competitiveness depends on the safety of American thoroughbred racing. Are you concerned about, I mean, there, there are a lot of demonstrations right now, uh, you know, against the, the very notion of the sport at, at, at this point. And, and as these horse deaths have happened, that uh, those are increasing. Th they are, and some of the animal rights groups really don't understand that these thoroughbreds are some of the best treated animals in the world. Uh, they're very valuable uh, horses as well and very valuable animals. But the bottom line is, uh, you know, we can't allow, you know, politicians in California shut down California racing. That would be devastating for Kentucky's signature industry. So we're fighting to get ahead of that and make sure that we put the uh, the reforms in place that will maintain the integrity and improve the safety of the sport. Congressman Andy Barr is our guest. Our remaining moments with him here on Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment. It is a political year. Can you get much done in Washington in that? And uh, also the congressman up for re-election. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We're visiting with Congressman Andy Barr, right now elected in uh, 2012 and uh, up for re-election this year, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But just first of all, Congressman, when you go into uh, a year like this, a presidential election year, every member of the House up for election, a third of the Senate, I, I mean, uh, how does much get done in Washington in that situation? Well, honestly, it is a little different because of this impeachment issue that has really made the the situation more toxic than I've seen it in my four terms. However, uh, I continue to, to serve as a co-chairman of a bipartisan working group. Uh, we're working on an infrastructure letter to our leadership, the Republican leader and the Speaker of the House, to urge a restart of the conversation on rebuilding America. We've come to a bipartisan agreement on that, our group of uh, 10 Republicans and 10 Democrats. Um, I'm, I'm chairing the American Worker Task Force as part of the Republican Study Committee. We're going to be unveiling recommendations on how to get um, more people, second chance employees, people who have suffered from addiction back into the workforce, some welfare reform initiatives and career and technical education, how to fill all those million unfilled jobs right now. The economy is doing great. Uh, we have a booming economy, the lowest unemployment uh, in 50 years, but part of that means that we need more workers, and we, it's a win-win for our, our employers. We, they need the workers, and we need to help individuals get off the sidelines and realize their full potential. 
Andy Bashir, elected governor of Kentucky, is a Democrat, uh, but I, you all grew up not far apart from each other. I assume that uh, you can work with him some when that is necessary. I fully anticipate that. Uh, he and I both went to Henry Clay High School together. I, I was really good friends with his older brother. In fact, I'm meeting uh, with the governor on Monday, and I, I want to talk to him about some of this federal money that's coming in to fight the opioid epidemic. I, I, I'm sure we'll work together on that. When you ran the first time in 2010, and that was, uh, uh, you know, during the uh, the Tea Party movement, and then you ran again in 2012 and won. You lost 2010, you won in 2012. You indicated four terms would be it for you, and you're seeking a fifth now, uh, right? Uh, Six terms, but, uh, so, right. but the point is uh, right. the same. The same. Uh, what changed? I mean, you at that time were for term limits. Yeah, so, uh, look, I, I still am. I, I'm still co-sponsoring a, a term limit uh, bill, but what I've come to understand also is that the larger problem in Washington is not careerism as much in the Congress. It is the careerism in the bureaucracy. And when you, and I have noticed that when you have members of Congress who are not there very long, uh, the, the bureaucrats are less accountable. So uh, I do think we do have a careerism in Washington, but it's not just in the Congress. It's also in the executive branch. You know, Democrats seem to be circling their wagons around uh, uh, Josh Hicks, an attorney, former Marine, former police officer. Are you concerned that with Bashir's victory and in the 6th District, they may have cracked the code by winning Lexington big and then they carried also uh, Madison and Scott and Woodford and I think Franklin County uh, in the sixth district. You know, I think Is it the, a concern to you? And it's not because if you look at the governor's problems and challenges they didn't translate to the other Republicans on the ballot. All of the down ballot Republicans had big wins so the general trend uh, supporting conservative candidates continues and it's not as if uh, the governor uh, ran as a as a Washington liberal. The, the, the reality though is that the bigger issue is whether or not you call yourself a moderate but take policy positions that are more consistent and in line with Nancy Pelosi and the far left of the Democratic Party in Washington. I mean, what we see in, in candidates running for Congress against me is that they're recruited by the National Republic, not National Democratic Party. Uh, they're for reversing the tax cuts that have given us the best economy in a generation. Uh, therefore, uh, uh, hyper-partisan bills uh, like Nancy Pelosi's socialist-style price control bill that would destroy cures and, and destroy medical innovation. Uh, uh, a candidate who says that he opposes the bipartisan bill that would lower prescription drug costs. And here's the, here's the bottom line about you know, anybody who is seeking this office. Whether you're, f whether you're for the president or against the president, whether you're for impeachment or against impeachment, uh, the people of the 6th District, I know my constituents, including my constituents who voted against me and voted against the president, they want uh, a candidate and a congressman who will take a position on issues and be accountable and transparent. And for a candidate for office who won't even take a public position on impeachment is someone who's just not prepared to, to hold this office, someone who's not qualified to hold this office when you won't even take a position on an issue as big as impeachment. Congressman Barr, thanks for coming. We appreciate it very much. Good to be Thank with you. Thank you for joining us for Kentucky Newsmakers. Hope you have a good week ahead.